Well, if you've been with us for a while, you know that we are in a consecutive expository series in the Gospel of Luke. We began about uh, six or seven weeks ago, and we continue hurling along at the light speed of now the nearing the end of chapter 2. And this series is subtitled, Seeing Jesus Together in the Gospel of Luke. It's always about him. It's, the gospel was written, the gospels are written so that we might see our beloved Savior and follow him and love him more and be in awe of the wonderful Savior that he is. Our scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 39 through 52. I invite you to use your Bibles or your devices or a pew Bible or look on the screen for our scripture reading. I remind you, this is the word of the Lord. Hear it with careful appreciation. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth. And was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, 
We ask now, again, that by your Holy Spirit, we would be giving illumination and light that we might see you more clearly, love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. In one single sentence, Luke summarizes the next few years of Jesus' life. Listen again. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Luke then tells us that Jesus grew normally, becoming strong in body and spirit and mind, and as we soon will see, with unusual wisdom. But I've got a question for you, and you may be wondering it right now as well. What happened to the wise men? Luke doesn't say anything about them. Furthermore, what happened to the flight into Egypt? What happened to the cause of that flight into Egypt? Wicked King Herod, who was trying to kill Jesus because of his fear of there being a king greater than himself. Furthermore, why did the family of Jesus end up returning to Nazareth. After all, they had been in Egypt until Herod died, as told to them. But it appeared they were probably going to set up shop, and there's a good deal of evidence that he might have stayed in the Jerusalem area, somewhere in Judea. But something else happened in the providence of God. Yeah, got rid of Herod. But unfortunately, three popped up to take his place, his sons. Let's see if this will work. I don't know if we'll get, if we'll get it on screen. I've got a slide there. Yeah. Okay. Luke said they were down here and they went up there. But that's much later. A lot of things happened before that. That's where they ended up in Nazareth. Next slide, please. This is the slides that tell you after Herod the Great died, horribly I might add, his sons Archelaus, Antipas, and Philip governed these territories. This one by Archelaus, and he was worse than his father. He was like the saying of the Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, said, my little finger will be thicker than my father's thigh. A way of saying, you ain't seen nothing yet. But he also got bumped out, and the Romans ended up taking over. But this is a territory that was much more, this guy might have been crazy, probably didn't have all his marbles, but he was at least a little less bloodthirsty. And so probably they decided, you know, I think it'll be safer up here 
So that's why they end up going back to that region where Nazareth was, right in this area. And of course, Philip controlled this area. So there was providence there that brought back. But Luke doesn't tell us all of that. All he says is, this is where they ended up. Now, thanks, Max. Okay. Um, so, it seems like Luke, though, has no interest in all those other things that I just mentioned. It seems he's not that interested in those details. However, Matthew, that's why we have four Gospels, he does record those details. But Luke has his eye on a different prize. Luke has another part of the story in mind, and that is the childhood and maturation of Jesus. That's where he puts his focus on in this passage this morning. The development, if you will, of Jesus. Remember, he, he was developed physically, socially, intellectually, and spiritually. And this was key in Luke's understanding and pivotal. This, this pivotal moment of Jesus at 12 years old, coming to the temple with his parents and the things that happened. By the way, Luke does deal with a lot of details. But he certainly doesn't try to create stuff out of thin air. Like a lot of the, quote, lost gospels. Uh, some of the tales that one finds in the extra-canonical Gospels, such as the infancy gospel of Thomas. You ever heard of that? Well, you got Jesus basically wearing a, an S on his chest and he's flying around the, doing all kind of miracles and, and making people that are bad, uh, punishing them. And I mean, it's just absurd nonsense. It has nothing to do. And yet there are Christians that just buy this stuff and swallow it. But Luke had none of that. He sticks to the facts of the text, and we should always do as well. All right, here's the outline for today. Today's outline for the lost boy goes like this. The sojourn, the search, the sitting, and the submission. Okay, for those of you who like alliteration, there you go. Um, all right, how about the sojourn? That's in verses 39 through 42. When Jesus was 12 years old, he went with his parents to sojourn a temporary visit to Jerusalem. Now, the question is why? Could he have gone with them previously? Possible. But for sure, it was expedient and appropriate that he would go on this special occasion of him being 12 years old at Passover. Whether or not he'd already gone to celebrate the Passover, we don't know. But Luke tells us that he did all according to the law, which meant that as a 12-year-old boy, he would go to Jerusalem to prepare himself to become a son of the covenant. Today, that expression, David, where are you? Uh, where's our... Where's our Hebrew. Oh, he's out of town. 
You know, maybe, maybe he's, oh, no, there he is. He's over there. They, today it's called Bar Mitzvah, right, brother? <laughs> uh, yeah, so the Bar Mitzvah. It's, it was the coming of age. Now, technically, the full rites would not come until 13, but this was the prep, and this involved going to Jerusalem and being basically taking a mini-seminary course, uh, I guess you could say, um, uh, it's a very small one, but <laughs> believe me, <laughs> there's a lot. But uh, uh, nonetheless, it was a way to prepare him for his coming into full manhood. He would have been, at this point, after this, he would have been approved to be a participant in the synagogue, and he was accountable for obeying the law of Moses. Heavy responsibility would be laid upon a son of the commandment. And um, I'm sorry, the son of commandment, not son of the covenant. The, um, now, Notice something here that Luke says. He chooses a focus, attention, to something very important. On the one hand, he talks about the very plain ordinariness of Jesus' childhood. He doesn't have him flying around. He doesn't have him you know, doing great miracles and all like these non-canonical stuff that I've already debunked. He doesn't do any of that. He just has a normal childhood. But while at the same time showing him to be an absolutely extraordinary child. Ordinary experiences and growing up, nothing fancy there, but an incredible child. As he focuses and hones on that in what happens in Jerusalem at this setting. Now, secondly, the search. That's in verses 43 through 45. After seven festival days were over, after they had gone through and done everything according to the law, the family started packed up and started heading back in a large caravan to return to Nazareth. That was, that was the plan. And this was very common. You would you would or the celebrants would leave together in groups. They wouldn't leave all at the same time. The women usually would go before, and then later would come the men. The problem here was both Joseph and Mary assumed that Jesus was with the other. Now, has anybody ever had that happen in their family? Uh, couldn't find. We lost our son of all places in Disney World. Now. That 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 was that was that was uh, fortunately it wasn't for too long. He he stayed put at, like we had told him to, and everything turned out all right. But you know, both of them were assuming. You know what happens when you assume, right? Um, both of them were just sure that was where Jesus was. So when they got ready to park for the night, uh, you know, turn in the uh, caravan and and uh, start getting things ready, Jesus was nowhere to be found. Both assumed he was with the group, uh, but they soon found out that he was missing. And so, eventually, after trying to go among the group they were with, checking with them, they realized, oh no, he's somehow, he's back at, at Jerusalem. So they made a beeline back for Jerusalem, and they still couldn't find him. And they searched, and finally, on the third day, they found Jesus. 
Up until that point, they were absolutely convinced that their son, their son of promise, had been lost. But was that really true? No. Jesus wasn't left behind. He was not, as my title implies there on the screen, a lost boy. Jesus was right smack dab in the middle of the place he had to be in his father's house, doing his father's business, even at 12 years old. What an extraordinary boy he was. Next comes the sitting, verses 46 through 48. Finally, on the third day, Mary and Joseph found Jesus, as I said, in the temple. <laughs> in the temple. And there he was comfortably sitting with all the members of the Jewish Sanhedrin. These were the scholars of the, their day. And here he was, comfortably sitting, and not only listening to them, but also asking them questions. How many 12-year-olds do you think would go into, into, a, into the, the halls of, of Congress and say, uh, excuse me, I got a question. <laughs> I mean, what, what courage, what confidence Jesus had. And so they find him sitting, listening and asking questions. By the way, I think the process, Harold, you have to, have to um, uh, correct me, but I think that's also called education by disputation, basically what was going on there. And, uh, and Luke says the religious leaders were, and here's that word again, we've run into it over and over, Luke loves it, amazed, or better put astonished they were slack jaw you know just couldn't believe it they couldn't get it their mind around how could this 12 year old boy have this wisdom how can he answer and listen and understand these things that sages long to understand so At the appropriate time, Mom and Mary, leading the way, expressed her anxiousness and frustration to Jesus. Now, I'm being fairly charitable there. I'm being fairly charitable. It was probably something more along the, how could you have done this to me and your, instead of, Son, I'm so sorry. How did we let this happen? Shows you there's only one Jesus, only one perfect person on this planet since our first parents. And, but, and they ended up falling. And so do all our great religious figures and the greatest among, except one, the one and only, our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so Mary expresses this anxiousness and frustration to Jesus, which in some measure is understandable. Certainly she would have been hectically concerned. That part we get. That part is just human. That's just what families do with our loved ones. But she overstepped in two ways. Now, wait a minute. Are you saying Mary, the, quote, mother of God? The, the blessed virgin? Yeah, that Mary. That Mary overstepped. Here's the two ways I believe she did. First of all, she implied selfishness on Jesus' part. She implied selfishness. How could you have done this to your father and us? You selfish little brat. Now, it's not what she said, but that's implied clearly here. It's like you've done something wrong. You've cre- brought all this upon us. Secondly, she referred to Joseph as the father of Jesus. Jesus knew that was not his father. Oh, he respected his earthly father, his adopted father, if you want to think of it that way. But he knew he was with, in that setting, his real father, God. You see, Jesus already knew his father was God, not Joseph. And Jesus must have been surprised. He must have been surprised Because he thought he was where he obviously would be. What did they think? Where did they think they were going to find him? They, how would they not know that he would be about his father's business in his father's house? Listen again to Luke 2.39. And when they had performed everything or excuse me, uh, Luke 2.49. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Mom, y- y- y'all, where do you think I would have been? A mild and gentle rebuke by Jesus. Listen to what Phil, Philip Ryken says here. He says, What the boy Jesus said was monumental in what it revealed about his true identity as the Son of God and revolutionary in its implications for our own relationship to God the Father. This is huge. It's not just that that was what happened. It was not only Jesus' identity coming into light, but he says this had great implications for Jesus' brothers, brother and sisters. And I mean by that, not the ones physically, but all of us who are believers in Christ. You see, Jesus referred to God as my Father. Now you say, well, it doesn't, doesn't the Bible say in, in the Old Testament, talk about God as our Father? Yes, but not in a singular expression with that pronoun, my father. 
This was absolutely revolutionary. And Jesus, in showing so, would later say, I go to my Father and to your Father. Because you see, Jesus brings with him. He brings all his children home. Those that have put their faith in him. And this beautiful picture as this 12-year-old boy knows God and says, because of me, you're going to know him as intimately as your father as I do. Read John 17 if you don't believe it. Just incredible, incredible good news. So, even after Jesus Oh, excuse me, I, I didn't finish the last line of that, but it's just, it, it follows along. This intimate expression was totally new. No one had ever said anything like it before. Now, as I said, Jesus gently, and I would use the word checked, kind of not, not, not anything um, real over the top, but just, Mom, where do you, where do you think I would have been? He checked his mother. And yet she still didn't get it. Not, not for a while. But here's something beautiful. Here's something that's so much of what we find in the gospel. But let me ask you this question. Mary, Mary slipped up. She stepped out. She got off course. She sinned. Okay. But what do we see happening here? She, Luke says, cherishes these things. She, she warms them over and over. She goes over them again and again. She recounts what happened. And she also owns her failings. Parents, that is one of the hardest things that your children will ever have to do is if they can't see you own your own failings. Many a, many a family has been broken because of an unwillingness to admit when we're wrong. And here, here, she owned it and recounted it and owned it her owned her failings. She did what I've often referred to, and it wasn't original with me, but basically she went into the witness box against herself. Instead of saying, oh, not me, it wasn't my fault, it was your fault. No, I blew it. It was my fault. Will you forgive me? You see, that's, that is the nature of gospel forgiveness she went into the witness box pleading no extenuating circumstances no quid pro quo no well if you hadn't -uh, none of that you know how we know that where did she get the information or where did this Luke get the information he got it from Mary and Mary tattled on herself 
she said, Luke, I'm still so, so sad that I, that I treated Jesus that way. But she went in and admitted it. And how powerful that is when we have that kind of forgiveness. Today, this morning in the, in the class that Harold and Sean are, are teaching. By the way, if you hadn't been a part of that, it would be a great time to do that. It's not too late. Only just two, two steps in for this summer course. But one of the things that came up was in Marxism, there is no forgiveness. There's no, there is no mechanism by which when you have failed, you can be forgiven. If you are an oppressor, you will always be, and there's no way out. And no amount of work and effort can get you and dig you out of that hole. But that's not the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ says, I will come. I will go down to that hole and I will bring you out. So that you, the redeemed, can now go free. The last section here is the submission. 49 through 52. On the way back, Mary must have looked at Jesus with wonder. Mulling memories over and insights that she had gathered about her unusual son. But listen to verse 51. Verse 51 says this. And he went down, meaning Jesus, with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. All right, parents, I got you a while ago. Kids, look up. Yours is coming. Yours is coming. For the next 18 years, imagine this. For the next 18 years, Jesus fit into everyday, ordinary life in Nazareth and was obedient and submissive to his parents in all matters. Submission is an ugly, dirty word in our culture. We want to be independent. We want to be defiant. We want to be the maker of our own manners and rules. But children, boys and girls, young men and women that are still under your parents' authority, Jesus, if anybody had a right to rebel and say, who are you? I'm the son of God. Jesus did not. He took the path of humility. He walked it circumspectly and carefully, obeying his parents and being submissive to them. Jesus went back to Nazareth, back to the family business, back to obeying his parents. Hopefully, your parents... You know they're going to be wrong sometime, but hopefully they'll have the courage to admit that. But even if they don't, boys and girls, even if they don't, it's still your responsibility. You are still under God's ordained authority and nothing slips through his fingers. Even if it's painful, it will be used 
We don't justify any wrong ever, either way. But we still, Jesus continued, it says, progressively continued until he went into his ministry. You see, for children, the process of growing up prepares them for independence. But it doesn't nullify the obligation to submit to their God-given authority. Amen? In closing, I want you to allow me to quote from Charles Swindoll. Listen, he says, Like all little boys, talking about Jesus, he gained weight. He had to be potty trained. He learned manners. He was taught to read. He received instruction in the synagogue and at home. And somewhere in the process of maturity, he became fully aware of his identity as the Son of God and completely conscious of his mission as the Savior of the world. Luke's description of this event in Jesus' childhood strongly suggests that this was the day it all came together. See, for Luke, this was pinnacle. This was pivotal. It all came together. You see, in order to be the second Adam, he had to fulfill all righteousness. He had to, to be both the God-man, both God and man. He had to learn. And so Luke tells us at the end, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your beautiful son. We thank you for the example that he shows and points us to. But, oh, Lord, we know we need so much more than an example that we can't really ultimately fulfill. We know that he was right and righteous, but we're not. But thank you that he came to bring the unjustified to justify the ungodly. Father, thank you that Jesus didn't just come to give us an example. He came to show us and bring us home to you, Father. Today, as we feast upon the remembrance of the love that brought this table to us and reminds us of what our Savior has done, may your presence be with us. And may you, Father, Son, and Spirit be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you will, please, let's rise for our hymn of response. The first three stanzas, hallelujah, what a Savior. <laughs>